Welcome to Reels on the Rocks, the show where your hosts, Whiskey and Sweet Tea, discuss film from the unpretentious perspective. In this episode, we kick off post-apocalyptic month with a look at Mad Max Fury Road. Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, and as always, please be advised that spoilers are ahead. Oh, what a day. What a beautiful day for a podcast. And you guys are all back here with me and Sweet Tea. Yes. And this episode we'll be reviewing one that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. This is one of those movies I know you hadn't seen. Right, yeah. And I've been kind of, you know, uh, frothing to get you to see it. But before we even talk about the movie, I mentioned before the show, I wanted to bring this up uh, just because it's very funny. (laughs) So, so a little anecdote before we start the review uh, for any of our listeners, one thing uh, that has happened since we last recorded, we put up our, uh, our anime reviews and, you know, we're on a bunch of different platforms and everything. And T and I noticed that for some reason on our YouTube channel, Paprika was doing really well, which is especially unusual because most of you guys are not listening on YouTube. Uh, so we were just like, what, what is going on? Uh, so T, will you explain why our Paprika episode blew up on YouTube? So I'm over here. I'm going through. I'm, I think I was like, I was texting you at the time and I was like, you were like, did you check? I'm like, oh, let me get my computer. Let me check what's going on. Okay, I'm looking through analytics, and finally, it's one that had so many views that actually had analytics. And I was and I was looking. I'm like, I don't know. It looks like people are just intrigued by paprika. I guess I don't know. And I'm looking, and I finally find a section that's like how they came about finding you. Um, and it's like search terms. We've most everybody found it by search, and so it looks up search terms that they found you by. And I'm like, and it's like, okay, top one was Tinto Brass. And then there was Paprika, Tinto Brass, 1991 Paprika, 1991 Paprika. I'm like, what is this? So I looked this up, and apparently it is an erotic Italian film uh, (laughs) that was produced in 1991 that was, I guess, a big enough hit that they even went later and made a full-on pornographic version of it. So... (laughs) Uh, I, I I was like, this is why it's blowing up, because everybody's thinking it's this movie. And... So to anyone listening on YouTube, I hate to break it to you, but uh, they don't they don't have porn on YouTube. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why you're searching. And who knows? Like if, if you discovered the show because you clicked on that video thinking we were going to be talking about that film. Hi. Uh, and, you know, welcome back. If you decide to keep listening, uh, maybe we'll look at it in the future. Uh, we've talked about like if we got enough of a following doing a uh, Patreon and you are able to kind of talk about or even like if you're a movie review thing, show like clips and whatever of like more lewd stuff. So we, I'd be open to it. I'd never heard of this movie. Like when I asked you and you were like, who's Tinto Brass or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I, was, um, I, thought, you, and I thought you would know of anybody. You would think I would. Cause I like weirdo <laughs> art house stuff. And I was like, I've, I don't know. But uh, I just think it's fun because again, like we talked about it in the review, like Paprika, it bombed when it came out, but it's kind of within the anime space looked at as a classic. I'm, 
more surprised that people aren't searching for that paprika than the erotic one. Like that was what blew my mind. Not so much that it was an accident that people found our show, but that more people are looking for some weird 1991 erotic Italian movie called paprika (laughs) than the, you know, super like well-known anime film from like only a little over a decade ago. It was just, it, it was a very funny thing. Um, and I felt that we needed to talk about it on the show because <laughs> it is incredibly funny. And I still, I, it just boggles my mind. Like as we are talking, there's probably more people finding our show through that. And I'm just like, why are there so many people on YouTube looking for smut? I know <laughs> you asked me that in a text message. And I think my response was, I don't know, probably old men in raincoats. I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. Again, it's like, I, it's the sort of thing you'd imagine like a 12 year old to do, but I'm pretty sure 12 year olds are not looking for Tinto Brass 1991 erotic art house film, like art house films. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we're talking, we're talking about Mad Max Fury Road. I mentioned way back uh, in our Die Hard review, I mentioned uh there's like a couple films i consider to be like the platinum grade action movies Mm -hmm. and we covered pretty much and i'm sure there's some other ones i'm just forgetting but like right at the top of my head it was die hard terminator 2 and then this film and this was one as i said i know you hadn't seen before uh despite it being kind of a big deal when it came out of Jeez, what, like seven years ago? That's I, blowing my mind. It does not feel like it was that long ago. You want to um, feel old? I was interning when this came out. <laughs> so was I. <laughs> no, you weren't. We um, weren't in the same class. <laughs> no, this came out in 2015, you silly, oh. you silly goose. You, you hadn't it? started interning, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. this came out May 15th, 2015. It was technically a okay. summer release so, i'm so confused um, but before, I, before I get in billboards for it and everything in la so i haven't i have an explanation as to why that might be but uh <laughs> before we i get into all the the data stuff um we'll get into what we're drinking so because both of our films you know for i say month but with how things have been going who knows if this will just be our we'll, summer movies we'll call it we'll um, call yeah, it figures, our grouping for this group figures are for this for this pair of films uh i'm going with a tequila theme because nothing both of these films are somewhat post well they are post apocalyptic and what's more post apocalyptic than tequila uh, it certainly <laughs> feels like the world. All the all the Mexicans in the audience are just upset at you now, myself included. Oh, I'm not saying because it's bad. <laughs> I'm saying because this tequila is what you drink when you're uh, you're about to. Uh, what what? How how did he put it? When you're going to be uh, uh, blowing stuff up. I'm trying to remember. There's a, a line the guy said, and I think I actually wrote it down. Uh, <laughs> this is this die die remembered on the Fury Road. I. I didn't write it down and I'm mad at myself because it was one. Of, that's a whole thing I'm going to get into. But so anyway, tequila is my theme for these next two films. And I also color coded it. Uh, supposedly Ooh. by the time these come out, our Instagram should have launched. I think in our last two episodes, we mentioned it still haven't gotten onto it, but you guys know us by now. We're always late at everything. So because of the color <laughs> scheme of this film, I actually decided to go with a tequila sunrise because the orange and pink kind of matches the color tone of a lot of the scenes in this film right and as i said the tequila is what you're gonna drink before you head to gas town <laughs> so what are you drinking tea so i 
Uh, I went with the theme of cars and ran with it. Um, I'm having a cocktail called gasoline. Um, Ooh. it's not colorful. It literally looks colorless. Like I guess gasoline does. I've never stopped to look myself. Um, you never had a little gas, never, never had a little sip at the pump. Apparently, not. <laughs> apparently I'm missing out. I, I hear, well, from what I saw in the movie, I guess it's normal for them to drink it and, you know, they just spit it out again. Um, but there's a, there's a, my strange addiction with a girl who's drinking oh gasoline and I was just like, how is she not dead? How is, I, actually, I think I saw that one or at least parts of it. So this, this is a super simple kind cocktail it's um it's just tequila uh i used a patron for this and uh it it calls for peach liqueur so then i i got some peach schnapps and put that in here and it's really kind of tasty it get i guess i feel like it gives me some fuel so maybe it's doing what it's supposed to but there you go gasoline Oh, and also I should, I, I, even though no one pays us anything, like I like to shout out whichever alcohol I'm using. So I'm doing an Añejo. I don't know if that's wrong for a Tequila Sunrise, but whatever, it's the one I picked up. But it's uh, Centenario is the, the tequila brand I went with for, honestly, both of my cocktails <laughs> for, for this pairing because, uh, I, quite frankly, I don't drink very much outside of this show. So it'll last me for the next two uh, two recordings. <laughs> Biggest lie of twenty twenty two. Patron's a good choice. You're 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 definitely making me look like the poor one here. But I am. I mean, my name's Whiskey. Well, okay. All, right? Well, you know what? It's Patron, and then whatever the bargain peach schnapps at the liquor store was. So all right, Pitbull. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i've only had a few sips but i'm sure this is gonna gonna hit me like one of those fire bombs in the movie but anyway so mad max fury road this came out in may 15th 2015 obviously i'm sure you know without me getting into the money dear listeners this was a massive stupid successful hit Um, its budget was really high actually and I, I'll get into this with the history of Mad Max, but the budget was super high for a Mad Max movie. 150 million, gross 375 million worldwide. Um, and it was filmed in the uh, Namib Desert, Namibia. Yeah. Um, right? I actually thought, so like all of the previous movies were filmed in Australia, and I thought that they had done that before. Fun fact, and this was kind of going around when the movie came out, but it. At the time they were filming, this movie was in development hell for, like, years. Okay. Uh, He wrote this, like, in the 90s. He wrote several Mad Max movies in the 90s, but, like, for several reasons, it was just they were having trouble getting it made. Uh, And even close to, like, when they started shooting, uh, there had actually been an unprecedented amount of rain in the Mm -hmm. desert, which, again, (laughs) I thought was Australia, but it it turns out it's in Namibia. Or maybe they decided to go to Namibia because of this. But anyway, there was a lot of rain, and the place they were going to film was, like, super green, uh-huh. which wouldn't, wouldn't work, <laughs> considering the setting they were going for. Well, I actually have so, an answer for that for you. I actually do know that is why they, they moved filming to Namibia. Namibia. It was a good choice. Yeah, it looks, it looks, a lot good. It more... looks fabulous. But it was supposed well, to like be filmed in, in Australia. Yeah, and we'll get, again, like, kind of like with uh, the what I said about the budget, we'll get into my history with the Mad Max franchise, but I think it was a good choice, honestly, because the other Mad Max films look kind of visually bland, and I feel like maybe that has something to do, obviously, with the upgraded budget and the new technology and everything, but I think filming in a much more remote location 
mm-hmm. probably helped it look a lot more uh, apocalyptic because in the other Mad Max films, they're in a desert, but it's just, you know, it looks like a desert. And there's actually a paved road in some of the movies, so that kind of <laughs> ruins a little bit of the... But um, Well, did you hear no, that? Did so- you hear that, listeners? Two things. One, whiskey has a history with Mad Max, not surprised. And then two, he said Australia is bland. So take that as you well, want. Well, I don't. <laughs> That's kind of the the history the history I'm getting into. And I'll just why why not say this now? I'll get into like this this is a very beloved kind of nerdy thing. Like it's it started out. How much do you know about Mad Max? We'll I get know, into your opinion. So but, if you were to take nothing, I know less than that. Like this was right. my when this came out and this was a huge deal. This was my first time hearing about Mad Max. Yeah. So, and I'm not surprised because I <laughs> I had a feeling you had never seen any of the other movies. Uh, although you'll be happy to know Mad Max Three has Tina Turner as the villain, so it's got that going for it. And it and had I that mean, hit song it's... from it. Um, we don't need another hero or something like that. Was like a hit song. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she honestly, I haven't seen Thunderdome, but she looks cool. Like, and it was kind of. I think it's a little refreshing to have a warlord that's a woman instead of another. Anyway, but so like the thing (laughs) is with Mad Max, like we talked about this in a number of episodes in the past. But one thing that always used to grind my gears in the late two thousands and early twenty tens was the quote unquote indie movie, and I brought this up most. Uh, mostly in our 500 Days of Summer video, because like in that time frame, the indie movie with, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, was <laughs> essentially you. like some airy-fairy romantic comedy with like, you know, people in their mid-20s bonding over obscure music. And like, it was like, it, it, it became like a misnomer, like a genre in and of itself. Like if you were talking about an indie movie, you were talking about this type of film. Right. But the term indie film has no genre. Like if it is made independently, that is what an indie movie is. And that used to just annoy the crap out of me because people would just use that for like, oh, hey, this multi-million dollar feature from Time Warner is an indie movie because it's got, it's, no, it isn't. <laughs> it's got a massive budget. Like, and it, it could be, you know, if it was, you know, one other uh, franchise I was thinking of reviewing with you in the future is the Before Sunrise series and that kind of fits into that uh bubble that people were putting indie movies in but Mm -hmm. it actually was an independent movie you know uh we talked about friday the 13th in a past review that's technically an indie movie because it was made on a shoestring budget in a you know camp campground in the middle of nowhere with you know just a stuntman and a halloween mask right you know so that and and mad max was an indie movie so this was George Miller's like back in the the seventies? He made this for no money, um, and it's kind of interesting to see the evolution of the series because the first movie I feel like most Mad Max fans would say is kind of the most boring one because uh, a lot of the ideas haven't really been flushed out. But it it's a good origin story um, that you don't need to have seen to watch any of the other movies. Mad, uh, Max is like still a, a police officer, and it's kind of like about how some uh, thugs, you know, uh, track down and kill his wife and kid, mm-hmm. uh, and it makes him kind of lose it and take revenge on them. And then he leaves the force to go out and be like a a justice bringer on the road. And then in the future installments, it's like the world is officially ended and Max is still just kind of going around and, uh, 
you know uh honestly he's not even usually a heroic character he just kind of stumbles into things and that was something when this movie came out i thought was really funny was a lot of people who thought they were smart were saying like you know Max isn't even the main character. It's really about Furiosa. And it's like, have you seen uh, any Mad Max film? Max <laughs> is never the main character. Like, he's he's the vessel to get you into the story. And he is a, you know, he is more of an anti-hero. Like, he, he involves himself in the plot for his own means. Uh, and he's usually helping out the good guys. But he's never really the focal point of the story. And besides he, the first movie and he's not so, he's not like really there for his uh from what i gather for, for uh the, the good of the cause or whatever he's there no to basically, i mean he's I'm basically sure just there noticed, because he's just to get out of it yeah and i'm sure you noticed in this movie like for the first half of the movie any opportunity had he had he's just trying to get away like right. he was not going to you know feel bad about leaving Furiosa and the girls to like be left behind or, you know, he's just like, I'm taking the rig and I'm getting the hell out of here. Uh, you know, and that's kind of how he is in all the movies. Uh, I, again, I haven't seen Thunderdome. I know like that one involves like a bunch of like orphan kids or something. I, yeah, I haven't seen it. So <laughs> maybe that'll be in the future, but yeah, that's like a thing. Uh, and that's also kind of the great thing about this series is you could watch all of these movies out of order. It really doesn't matter. Like as Max's, backstory is just very simple like he used to be a police officer he lost everything and now he's just kind of surviving um and that's it you know and that's kind of where he gets his name is he's gone as mad as the world has gone or whatever but it's i i kind of equate it to like indiana jones where it's like it's just this archetypal character in a scenario and that's what the movie is and just like Indiana Jones, you could watch those movies out of order and not really be lost. Right. Maybe the fourth one is an exception because there's some ties to the first movie with his love interest and having a son and stuff. Oh my god! But yeah, but we pretend it's the like a different one. kind of sequel you don't see as often. Is just the the the, the character in a different scenario. Yeah, but most people um, pretend the fourth one doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Um, and they're trying to make a fifth one with uh, Harrison Ford being like 120 years old. So that's like. <laughs> It's like a whole thing, but, um, but yeah, so my, the history I was talking about is like, this is a film that is beloved in like nerdy circles, mm -hmm. like the types of people who like to cosplay and stuff like this is kind of on the same level as like Star Wars. It's also very influential. A lot of like films that do post-apocalyptic stuff. Right. It, they got it from Mad Max. In the 80s, there were a lot of Mad Max ripoffs. It's like, oh, this is Mad Max in space. Waterworld. Uh, Universal's famous flop from like the 90s that was Mad Max on the I ocean. I like Waterworld. I like it. <laughs> I don't think it's that like honestly that's maybe we'll talk about that one in the future. I don't think it should be as hated. I don't even think it is as hated. I think most people are just meh with it, but that's one that was literally a Mad Max ripoff. It's yeah. Mad Max. It's like Mad water. Max on water. So this is a very influential independently produced film by george miller back you know in the 70s uh and i've always wanted to like it but i could never really get into it like the first one i saw was road warrior and i only recently saw the you know the first mad max during uh quarantine because it was on netflix and i'm like i should probably see this even though everyone says it's the worst one because it's really boring mm -hmm. and it is uh, <laughs> in case anyone wonders it's it's not really necessary but like with the road warrior it's most people i'd say now fury road is probably most people's favorite one but the road warrior before this movie came out was 
the favorite. And I just couldn't get into it because it kind of... It's not because it's bad. It's because the budgetary constraints made it hard for the action to be engaging for me. Right, okay. Uh, the car chases and stuff. It's like you just have, like, you know, scrap nailed to, like, uh, you know, stunt cars, and they're just driving on, like, some paved road out in the outback in Australia. Yeah. And the costumes and stuff were really inventive, but it just... The thing that made me really love this movie is that George Miller, they finally gave him a ton of money. Because <laughs> now <laughs> it is super visually striking. It is so awesome. Like, even if... And the story isn't really particularly deep or, like, insightful or interesting. Although we will get into one thing I think is kind of cool about us. Well, not in a happy way talking about it now. But the story is not really very complicated and it's just the the action so dynamic it really gets you into it and when i knew this was coming up i was really excited partly to hear your uh opinion on it which we will get into after the last thing i wanted to talk about with the reception of this film was that it was a big award winner i don't know if you will remember the oscars in 2016 but this one was nominated for everything including best picture and best director and i was probably i there i think my pick that year was probably the big short for best picture but i was like if this wins that would be really freaking cool because this is like kind of a crowd pleasing movie it's not the sort of thing you would imagine the academy to really get behind right uh, but it did win six oscars including basically all of your favorite uh categories it won best editing best costume design best makeup and hairstyling Best sound mixing, best editing, and best production design. Wow. Right? So with all of that said, and with all of that backstory, what did you think of the film, T? What do you think I felt of the, uh, I felt about the film? I don't know. I, and I was uh, hoping that you would like it, uh, especially with uh, the story that it ends up telling, which a lot took a lot of people by surprise with it being a Mad Max film. So I was predicting that you might be surprised in liking it. Was I correct in that prediction? So I will say it is definitely a film. No, I'm just kidding. I <laughs> I love this. You have no idea how yes. much I love this movie. I was yes, sitting there. Yes, I'm glad you liked uh, it. I loved I was engaged from the very beginning to the very end. And, uh, and I too like I'm sure any any fans of our show will know that post-apocalyptic things are not your bag right uh, to the point where it actually makes you anxious so the fact <laughs> that you liked it that much is actually a massive compliment to the film because it's what makes you it it's hard for you to watch like zombie movies and right. stuff is like and, when when the world has ended it like it bums you out so much so that's well, actually a massive compliment and I think one of the reasons why is because they did such a good job of essentially creating a whole new world that it was it, it didn't it didn't even feel like it was earth in the future they created a yeah. whole brand new so, so i there wasn't anything for you to get anxious or sad about because it almost felt like another planet right but i, I think another i strength... love this i you have no idea how much i love this movie i cannot wait to watch it again well, and the other great timing is that Furiosa right now is being filmed. Uh, so the prequel movie is in the works. Like they're they're currently wherever they are filming it. And I forgot who is playing young Furiosa, but I know uh, the the warlord guy. Uh, 
Oh, I literally saw this four days ago. How am I blanking on his name? It's uh, Lord Humongous. No, that's from <laughs> <laughs> Road Warrior. Uh, uh, Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe is being played by Chris Hemsworth. Okay. So that's going to be interesting to see a young version. But yeah, you'll be excited for that to come out. I loved um, everybody in this movie. All the characters were interesting. They were unique. They were different. Uh, they... I they were they, they spoke in a in a normal way and i love that i didn't feel like i would it, it didn't feel like it was trying to be pretentious i love the fact that it had a fabulous uh sort of you know uh alignment i guess is what, what i'm trying to say without it being yeah. without it being preachy or that being the point of the movie it was just such a natural just film and i even said this is like the type of movie that 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 movie theaters were made for it, right. it was this kind of movie it wasn't like a movie that was trying to make you feel anything or trying to uh what's the word i'm looking for it wasn't trying to educate you about something or get you to believe in something it was just to it was there to it did what it, it did what a good movie should it, it got you to think about the world without asking you to think about the world it was so 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 good. I, I, I you have no idea. I was I was very excited about this movie. After well, you know, one thing I think, and this is kind of the same thing with all of the previous Mad Maxes that I think is really smart, is that you, like you mentioned, how they don't really like get hung up on how the world ended. Yeah, and that's kind of this. They never explain it in even the first Mad Max movie. It's very vague. Something happened, like you know, they in this film in the opening bit before the credits, like they kind of allude to maybe a, a nuclear war. Yeah. But in earlier films, they talk about a gas crisis. Like one thing I think is very smart is that they never say precisely what happened. Right. It's just everything went to hell, uh, and that's actually one of my favorite quotes from one of the uh, the breeding girls in this. Is uh, like she she asks the guy like, "Then who killed the world?" And I just the way she's like you mentioned the way they the the characters talk and it's almost kind of i it's almost like dumbed down but not in a way that like people are like cave people or something it's almost kind of like grown-up children talking you know like calling someone a a people eater and stuff like that it's it's very like primitive i guess is the best (laughs) way do you know what i mean like it's it's primitive and, and that makes sense with their setting but and and I and it goes with that line too, like who killed the world, not how did the world end or something. Who killed the world? I just, I don't know. I wrote down like a couple of lines I really liked, and that was one but that you know, stuck out. That's almost smart, not having because then there then you don't pigeonhole yourself. Uh, exactly, and, and also this where everybody's alliances are or everything. You can basically move to new area, and this is what this group's par- series of problems are. You know, you, yeah, none of it has to be tied together. And the other smart thing about keeping it vague is it's like you really don't know what kind of crises are going to happen in the future. This is a series, I think the first Mad Max came out in like 1977 or something like that. It was like the late 70s. So the fact that they were smart enough to not really explain and it still feels like this is a future that could potentially happen. Right. Um, because they don't explain like, oh, it's a gas crisis, it's a nuclear war, it's a whatever. Like, well, it's, the, it, I think it's smart because it's like, no matter how much time passes, it's still something that could potentially well, be it, in the future, but without dating themselves. Well, like in this movie, they kind of allude to there be a climate crisis because they talk yes. about the water being sour 
or exactly you know, and so stuff like that and so you know, it kind of draws on the ideas of the time it comes out without making that you know canon or anything like that because you know they could have had a gas crisis but this area was fine and then the climate changed there now they're not fine stuff like that exactly um and i definitely like this was 2015 so that was still like a big talking point and and i mean that's kind of the thing with all again with all of the mad max movies it's like in a desert so you know climate wasn't like a big talking point in like the 80s really but it makes sense you know like there's no there's no food. I'm sure, like, the very beginning of this movie, when he, uh, that cute little lizard walks up to him and he eats it, like, there's a similar thing in The Road Warrior where him and, like, uh, a raider are fighting over a can of dog food. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so grim and disgusting, but just, like, funny at the same time that everyone's so desperate for food that this, like, canned dog food is something that two grown men are, like, it's a treat for them to eat it. <laughs> But you know what I liked about that scene is it is it gave me it gave me some expectations for the movie. Uh, basic and this is one of the things I really liked about this movie is essentially his character. You know he steps and thing, but he eats it. It's he doesn't just waste it. He's not just stepping on it to be mean. One that tells me about his character, and two that kind of tells me about uh, the direction the film's going to be in is there is no uh, violence or killing that's not necessary. Which yes. I really like that. And I At least with the good guys. <laughs> well, you know, but basically everything that happens makes sense. It's not just, okay, now we're just going to have, you know, just a random massacre scene because we need to advance the plot or something. Nothing, yeah, that's what and I that's mean. kind of one of the things uh, this is. I've talked about this with other movies we've reviewed, but this is another one where I would call it, quote unquote, technically perfect. And one of the ways it is, is that there's no fat really to be trimmed. There's no wasted scenes. Yeah. There's no, like, unnecessary crap going on. Like, everything that happens in the movie, it's perfectly paced and timed. There's not, like, a scene where it's like, oh, this goes on too long, or, like, why are we talking about this or something. It is literally, like, there is nothing you could add or take away from this movie that is, like, unnecessary or necessary. Right. And uh, every time I see it, it's it really blows my mind because it's exactly like I think it's like two hours and a minute. And every time I see this, I am amazed at how quickly everything goes by. Like, I think when I was watching it for this review, it's like I had to, like, go to the bathroom or something. And I pause and I'm like, whoa, I'm already halfway through. That's yeah. crazy. You know, it's but that's kind of the good sign of like a movie. Like another one that I'd bring up is like how the Lord of the Rings movies are nearly like three hours long, but you never feel like they're going on too long. Right, um, and e everything except everything this movie has a purpose. Even the dialogue, there's no long-winded, you know, conversations or okay, well, I guess we could cut this line here or did they need to say yeah. that? Everything is very taut. It's very good. It's like it was perfectly edited. This is a movie that was essentially, like you said, essentially perfect. Uh, and but what I love about this movie is that it's essentially like you like we call it perfect, but it's also a pop culture movie. And yes. I, what I like about this is it kind of, it kind of brings home one of these points I was trying to make is that just because something's a popular movie or popular, you know, uh, property or something like that doesn't mean it's going to be low brow and bad. And a lot of people don't seem to realize that. And that's one thing I talked about this movie is a lot of people. I'm so happy the Academy recognized it as far as it did, because 
it basically uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for it legitimizes this genre of filmmaking yes um by the way do you know anything about the director george miller no oh my god are you gonna ruin my day and tell me he was no 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 no. i think you're gonna (laughs) like him more well first off i found it funny when this movie came out he just said like people were like oh what's the movie about and he's like it's a two-hour car chase (laughs) i mean he's not wrong when you talk about like, because that's the thing, like you know, we're the unpretentious movie review show, and you don't really get any un any less pretentious than George Miller, like just straight up, like ah, uh, you know, there's 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 stuff going on in it, but it's two hour car chase, and he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> Technically, is, um, but no, he's he's a really cool guy, uh, and he has had a hand in a lot of movies. I bet you wouldn't have expected. So Mad Max is his baby. It was what put him on the map. Uh, he's very old. He was born in 1945. He was in his 70s when he was directing this. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, but. Other besides all of the Mad Max films, uh, other movies you might have heard of. He directed The Witches of Eastwick. That was like, you know, I think in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, he wrote Babe, the <laughs> Talking Pig movie. <laughs> he wrote that. and produced Babe, uh, and he directed Babe Two, Big, okay. <laughs> Pig in the Big City, and he wrote and directed the Happy Feet movies. Oh my God! I love that that's like my so again not a pretentious director and he's kind of all over the place like he'll do something really intense and brutal like mad max but then he'll do like uh, a cartoon kids movie with dancing penguins so and uh i don't know if you ever saw the twilight zone movie from the 80s but the one where people died so he didn't the thing about that movie is it was a different director for every segment because it's the twilight zone and it was like uh 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 what's the word like each it, it, it's a movie but it was a bunch of like short films essentially right uh so it was a different director like steven spielberg did the kick the can segment uh tim burton i think did the anthony segment i might be wrong about that but the uh nightmare at twenty thousand feet with uh john lithgow segment at the end of the film was george miller okay well that's a oh my god wait i think in the original wasn't that william shatner in the original one it was okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So in the in the in the movie, it was John Lithgow instead of William Shatner, uh-huh. and honestly, the Gremlin looks way scarier in yeah. the <laughs> newer one. But uh, that was George Miller doing that segment for the film. So, and that's the other thing too. He hasn't done like a ton of things. Like he's more quality over quantity. But it's and he's directing the new uh, the new Furiosa movie, which is the the, guy, the man is nearly eighty. It's amazing that he had the energy to do this and the other thing about this film that i loved at the time is this kind of you nowadays we're seeing kind of a a good marriage between cgi and practical effects but this as well as like star wars episode 7 and a bunch of other movies that are coming up around like 2015 2016 is there was kind of a a push for some more uh practical effects and the cool thing about this movie is all those stunts are real, baby. Those cars are real. They are really driving around in a desert. Um, (laughs) Those pole, those pole cats that are like, you know, picking people out of the cars. That was real. They were really driving at those speeds. And those were circus performers doing that. Yeah. Like Uh, when I was, and George Miller was out there with them, like, you know, on a car with a megaphone, just like directing the action driving around. (laughs) 
Now you swing in. Now you swing. It's just, <laughs> it's just a. Ama- I I want to know what kind of energy drinks this man because he's in his seventies. He's like nearly eighty, and he's doing this sort of like intensely action, high energy stuff. It's like the man must have a direct tap into the fountain of youth because I I don't know how he's <laughs> able to keep up. Well, it's interesting you talk about those pole things. Uh, when I was in you know, Las Vegas uh, last month, uh, my brother and my dad, they went to go see a show uh, called Absinthe. Was it Cirque du Soleil? No, it wasn't. It was called Absinthe. It was just in a circus. It was literally like 20 people watching a show in a circus tent. Um, okay. But yeah, there was this whole scene where like four, this whole section where four of these people are, they're, they're just doing those pole things, like swinging in. And they kept saying, oh my God, it's like in Mad Max. And then, you know, at the time I was like, I don't know what this is about. And there you go. Now I know, but I'm like, uh, that's, I, that's impressive though. They were doing that with the cars driving. That is wild. Another fun fact, and again, I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening already know this because there was lots of fun facts coming out when the movie came out back in 2015. But you are, or do you watch Stranger Things? I haven't watched it since the first season. Oh, dude, the the new season. You heard about that, how Kate Bush's song has been. Yeah, it just blew up again. It's this new season's awesome. In case anyone, we don't really talk about TV on the show, but in case anyone cares about my opinion, it's it deserves the hype. This is the best season since the first season. But uh, so you've at least seen the first season. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown, when she was cast to play Eleven, one thing that she was really nervous about doing was shaving her head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you listeners will find this funny, but before T had seen this movie and I was talking about like, Ooh, I'm so excited. We're going to review this. I sent T a gif of Charlize Theron. Uh, and you thought it was a guy. <laughs> I think, I think I said they, cause I wasn't sure. <laughs> but you, you, <laughs> you said you thought it was a guy. Well, anyway, so <laughs> like that, that reminded me. So Millie Bobby Brown, when she got cast, she was really like scared of shaving her head. The, the producers are like someone involved with that show showed her Furiosa in this movie and was like, that's Charlize Theron. She's an Oscar award-winning actress. She shaved her head for this movie. And doesn't she look really cool? And that apparently like convinced Millie Bobby Brown to like be okay with shaving her head for stranger things. <laughs> and they, they, they were like, so buck up kid. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they were nicer about it. She was like 10 years old or whatever, but that's it was, true, yeah. I mean, that's cool. The cool, I th- and I honestly think it's kind of nice. It's like, Oh, here's this other like really cool woman. Who's like a famous actress. And she, you know, she did it and look at how awesome she looks. And so, I don't know. I, at the time that was like going on in like, whatever, what was that? 2016, 2017 yeah. when the first season came out, I thought that was really cute. Um, I do like that. That, that, that is, that is great how they, you know, they, they, they kind of showed her someone to look up to, to be more comfortable with it. Yes. Um, so one thing, I guess we'll talk a little bit about the plot. We are, we try not to make this like a political show, but one thing I thought was kind of interesting, like we, we try, hopefully in the future, we'll be taking requests from you guys. Anyone who wants us to review something, you can always reach out to us on Twitter. Or if you listen to us on youtube or whatever you can leave a comment but generally we plan ahead of time these reviews and one thing that was kind of uh neat about the timing of this episode not neat in a good way unfortunately but i mean with the uh whole roe versus wade thing i thought it was kind of very uh (laughs) it's very fitting 
Very fitting, uh, especially like for those, I'm assuming everyone listening has seen this film. If you haven't, uh, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Go see it. It's on HBO Max well, right now. And we, we always uh, recommend you see the film before listening to the podcast. But I think this also took a lot of people by surprise who were going to see this film in 2015. But the whole plot revolves around uh, Immortan Joe having these women he calls breeders which man incels must love this movie, but, uh, <laughs> but like these attractive women, he's set aside for his family to, uh, basically, you know, have kids with. Right. Uh, and that was another quote I really like from this is we are not things. Yes. Um, I love and it's that like, so much. And it's like, again, I think a lot of people were surprised. That was what the like core story was, was for this film, but man, does it hit different these days? Oh um, yeah. No, it, it does. I, when they, and that's part of the reason I was excited to hear your uh, reaction to this is because I I was curious if you <laughs> how you were how you well, were going to react to that whole I mean, aspect I of mean, it. There are many reasons why I like this movie. That is a big part of them. I loved that whole, especially right now. That whole final <laughs> battle scene was so cathartic because I feel like the movie sets up, um, and I forget what they're called, the the main group uh, with the water. Um, I forget what that faction's called. Uh, but oh, uh, yeah, like it's it's a Morton Joe and the soldiers are like I think they call him they call them the War Boys. Yeah, the War Boys. Those people from the very beginning they were so ridiculously over obsessed with this whole war macho sort of thing that it was actually kind of hilarious, like. The spray, and I never understood the spraying their mouth with spray paint. I'm like, I don't know what yeah. that, I don't know what that does, but they like want to die for, for for the glory. I mean, but the glory apparently the glory only matters though if somebody else can see it because they keep wanting people to witness them. So I well thought- maybe you didn't pick up on this, but one thing that's actually this again this movie it doesn't shove anything down your throat, but it's like deceptively deep because I don't know if you picked up on this. All the war boys are diseased they aren't going to live very long. So he's like promised them that they'll have an afterlife. If they serve him, they believe like they're going to go to Valhalla and they'll be like remembered forever and stuff. So it even kind of like outside of like the Rovers Wade stuff, like it really kind of tapped into how to dic- how dictators get a following. Oh, like, or, oh you're or, a nobody, how, but if you follow me, like you'll live forever. Or how, and I thought or that how was religious actually kind cults of, work. That's basically how religious exactly. cults work. There's that. The- well, and that's a cool thing too. Is one of the characters starts out as a war boy, and by the end of the film, he's like one of the most likable characters. He becomes you know, and you so see how he's been manipulated by these people into thinking that like he's doing the right thing. He achieves divinity. I love witness me. Yeah, I know, but he says it to himself. He doesn't say it to like yes. anybody else. I loved that. Was such a. Uh, I mean, of course, I was says I wanted him, him and the redhead girl. I'm like, I wanted them to get together because you know that's me. But um, you know, I. But you know, I feel like his death. It was so good because you know he achieves. I think what he was looking for, which is a purpose in life. He uh, he also. I, I, I'm trying. Hold on, I just lost my train of thought. But basically, <laughs> I just I, I like I like how that goes because he's doing it for himself, not for anybody. He's doing it because it's the right thing, or what the perceived right thing to do is, or what he thinks is the right thing to do, not because he's been promised some afterlife somewhere. I loved 
I, I I love that. But like I was saying, you know, like you said, you said it's deceptively deep. It has it has commentary on essentially religious cults, programming, uh, a lot of a lot of. And I think because I do remember there was a lot of people that did have a problem with it. And I think this is why it has a lot of commentary on toxic masculinity. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty and, I mean, hey, Max Max is a pretty badass uh masculine guy, but he doesn't feel like he needs to throw it around. Right. You know, he's just he's just kicking ass cuz that's what he does. Like he doesn't need to you know, uh live <laughs> live immortal on the fury road. I'm well, still ah, I hate that. <laughs> and, and and I and I know this is basically how you describe all the other movies. You said, you know, basically Max is not the main character really in any of the movies except the first one. But I think for, He's helping out. I think yeah, in I think in much. this movie, you know, it achieves another level. Um because essential because uh, essentially Max in this movie is, you know, basically a glorified henchman. He's not he he's not the one with the cause. He's not the one with the plan. He's not the one that he's basically doing what essentially what they tell him to. You know, sometimes he comes up with his own ideas and stuff. But for the most part, he's there to provide assistance when asked. And pretty much. And I uh, and, you know, in this sort of, like, you know, you said it's in most movies. That's pretty much how it is. But in this one, you know, I feel like that cre- that has a bigger impact meaning here. Uh, because yes. he is being led by this group of women, essentially, and I, 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 you know, I thought I thought that was pretty awesome too. I mean, like, I, guess I, I essentially, I mean, this is kind of off, maybe left field, but like, if you think about like Barbie and Ken, Ken is essentially nothing more than a glorified fashion accessory, and that's kind of what he is here. He's just basically a glorified henchman. He's not the purpose. He's not the story. He's just there. Yeah, and that's, like, as I said, uh, he, for at least half the movie, any opportunity he has, he's trying to just leave everybody and go off. Um, but pretty much when he, it becomes apparent that he'll need to work with these girls to, like, get out of there, that's when it's like, okay, this is your rig, you know the kill switches, whatever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get rid of, if anyone's tailing us, I'll shoot them. Uh, but you're the boss, you know how to drive this thing. Like, let me, let me know what I can do to help. And that is kind of, again, Road Warrior is the one that was like the most famous before this movie came out. And the setup is very similar. It's Max stumbles upon this like encampment that's very like well secure and stuff. And they're being attacked by a warlord called Lord Humongous. And it's because they have gas. And, uh, pretty much like Max is like, Hey, I can drive that tanker out of here. We can like, you know, so it's like a similar sort of thing where it's like, he, he goes in to someone else's problem. Like he, he shows up, there's something going on and he's like, Hey, I can help out, you know? And then he helps out. Like he's never really like the main focal point of the story. He's just sort of the vessel to get you in. And he is the character Again, like I, I compare him to Indiana Jones because Indiana Jones, it's like the story is kind of about him, but it's like there's something else going on that Indy's sort of investigating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and again, like with those movies, you could watch them out of order anyway because it's like, okay, he's he's getting this artifact in this movie and it's a whole new cast of characters and stuff. It's the same thing with Max. He's an right. archetype. He's the dude with a cool car and a leather jacket and a sawed-off <laughs> shotgun 
and he's in this situation and he's going to kick ass and he cares and he cares about fashion that's my jacket (laughs) right well and that's so like a lot of people called this a soft reboot when it came out there was a lot of big things that they changed the biggest one being mel gibson used to be mad max (laughs) my mom my mom said she's like because at first i thought this was gerard butler because he kind of looked like that. No. A little, he he kind of looked like that a little bit at the beginning when he had the cage on his face, and then she's like, "No, that's Tom Hardy. It used to be Mel." Yeah, Gibson. Yeah, yeah. She was like, "He used to be Mel Gibson, you know, before he went, you know, crazy." <laughs> I mean, there's an argument to be made that he was always crazy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was kind of a big thing. The other thing that. I mean, at the time, I don't think now this is sort of the definitive Mad Max movie. So I don't think it gets talked about as much as when it first came out. But the other thing is that car he's driving at the beginning of the movie is his car. It is sort of an iconic thing in all of the previous movies. And they destroy it yeah. at the beginning of this movie. And I felt like that was kind of a this is this is not your granddad's Mad Max. Right, right shit's gonna get crazy like we are going to destroy (laughs) his car he will never drive his car except for the opening of this movie like forget everything you know like and that to me was kind of the big thing besides it being a different actor that like this is the starting point like and that's again this is my favorite mad max film this is the first time i've really gotten into it and a big Mm -hmm. part of that is i think this is what was in george miller's head in the 70s he just didn't have enough money to make it happen, right? You yeah, know, because a lot of these the, these action sequences in it are so perfect. And one of the big things I love about these because I, I haven't really been a big fan of the action genre because to me a lot of it I'm like I can't tell what's happening like half the time. Uh, and this you can see everything happening. Everything makes sense. You know what's going on. You know who's shooting. Who's getting shot who's driving the car, which cars you can see all the stuff. And it's not just like a bunch of just quick cuts. And you're like, well, what just happened here? (laughs) No, it's really well done. And I mean, I, I, this one, I forget what won best cinematography that year, but that was, I think this was kind of my pick because it was so well shot. Wasn't this, uh, wasn't this spotlights year? It was. So Spotlight won Best Picture, which I'm cool with. It was a good movie. I know it was your favorite film of that year. Uh, but uh, yeah, cinematography, I'd, I'd have to look I feel, it up. I feel it like probably... if I had seen Mad Max Fury Road, I probably would have picked that for uh, Best. Let's see. Okay, let's see. Uh, Alejandro Inaritu won for Directing, Actor, Spotlight... Uh, oh, that that was the Leonardo DiCaprio like sympathy Oscar year. Uh, oh yes, he, now I, I remember. I'm sorry, yeah, I, dang, this was. I, I did not. Man, I did not my, think he deserved the Oscar for that. My opinion has changed a lot in seven years. I remember this was the one the uh, the Revenant. I was really into, which I still think was great. I think that won best cinematography and deservedly. It was also really well shot. It's it's just funny, and we've talked about this on some of our other films, like for instance the like Orson Welles versus the Best Picture. It's it's interesting how like time changes your opinion on things. Like something that's like oh this is easily the best film of the year, and it's like ten years later you're like eh. This other one kind of has more staying power. More the, yeah. people are talking about this one 10 years later. And it's kind of the same thing with this. I feel like out of all of the nominations in every category that year, 
this one is still the most relevant today as yeah. far as what people want to watch and what people talk about. No one, you know, Spotlight was a great film. The Big Short was a great film. Revenant was a good film. But I don't think anyone genuinely like cares about them as much as people still care about this film. Right. And I feel like that's kind of an example of that. It's like what you think at the time, wait a few years because your, your opinion might change. And I loved this when it came out, but every time I rewatch it, I'm just like, man, this is a good movie. See, and <laughs> I think, I, I don't know if I've ever, I've ever pitched my Oscars reboot idea for you, but I've at least, I've had this thought where people should only the, the, the Oscars should be what came out five years ago <laughs> and then that I way feel like you might have talked about that but that is a good idea well and you because know, that's the, almost how the grammys works because every year they nominate everything it's like the albums came out ages ago yeah <laughs> like, often over a year after they've been nom or before they've been nominated or whatever like it's it's been ages since all the music's come out and part of that is because they want to give you know the voters or whatever time to listen to all the music but it almost kind of would be a good idea to do well, that because with the movies because, because the, 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 then you lose you lose all this buzz of you know what was new what what well, also was the, uh, the Oscars is a glorified advertisement that's something I mean, that people don't really realize yeah. today like because that was what it was for when they created the Academy Awards in like the thirties. It was to get people to see the movies. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, and that's what's kind of funny about people who take the Oscars really seriously. It's like, it's just to sell you something. Like, it's just to get you to see these movies. Like, Best Picture, the whole point of that award is, like, who marketed their movie the best. Yeah. Whatever. You know, technically, it should be going to the one who was the highest grossing film of the year. You know, so, like, yeah, honestly, I think... I think you, if, if they cared about the quality of the films, I think what you are suggesting would be what they do. Yeah. But I really mean, it's mostly to get people to go see the movies. Like, I mean, that's yeah, why because Oscar season, like, I know you're not like Catholic, uh, like I am spoiler alert, but like when they canonize a saint, um, which, you know, which means to make them an official saint, they yeah. have to wait like, 10 or 15 i think it's 10 or 15 years after they die before they're even considered for sainthood that way f for the same reason you know it, all, all the buzz and everything dies down and then it can basically just be based on the 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 facts did they perform a miracle did they do this did they do that and that's kind of how i think like if the academy awards wanted to be a serious award show about specifically awarding what they consider the best they should they should have like a waiting period like that it's kind of one of the favorite things i like to talk about with oscars throughout the years is like what should have won because there's so many like years where it's like i think one that comes up a lot is uh 1967 like they're, you know, the best picture nominees, I feel like most people nowadays would say that The Graduate should have won best picture. Or like any, you know, it, in The Heat of the Night was the winner, and it's a good movie. I watched it out of curiosity after knowing that it won, and it's pretty good. Uh, but it's like, you know, The Graduate also came out that year. Uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner came out that it was also nominated. And it's just interesting, like, there's a bunch of years like that where it's like, really was that the one that should have won because out of the nominees for best picture that year, part of the reason I think it should have gone to the graduate is out of the movies. It's like the one that is 
referenced the most. It's the one that people have heard of out of the five nominees, most likely. Well, well, I mean, but, but careful, because if that was the case, Mean Girls would have won Best Picture one year. I mean, In the Heat of the Night went on to, uh, what is it called? They spawned a very successful hour-long weekly drama that went on for eight it's years. It's a good show. It went on for yeah, eight no, years with, the, with, the orig- with, with members of the original cast. So I, I still think out of the three, In the Heat of the Night is the best. It's a good movie. It definitely was deserving of the award. It's just kind of, as I said, like as an example of like waiting a period of time out of the five nominations from that year. Again, The Graduate's the one most people bring up because it's the one that is referenced a lot and stuff. Although in the heat of the night, like for anyone who was wondering what was being referenced in the Lion King where uh, they call me Mr. Pig. <laughs> it's like... That's that's in the heat of the night and the TV show that the T was talking about. But uh, in like sort of a segue, but like as far as the uh, the awards that this film won, you know, it won uh, costume and makeup and everything like that. And one thing I thought was really cool uh, was how because uh, Immortan Joe's the main bad guy, but the, we also see like the warlords from Gastown and the Bullet Farm. And I love how distinctive they made them look. You know, Morton Joe's got this kind of like techno Viking thing going on. He's got his gas mask and whatever his powder he has on. But I love like the guy from Gastown. He's got like a fake nose. And I, I should have watched this in preparation for this review. But I remember watching a behind the scenes thing where there was some sort of like backstory. Like he's got a fake nose because it was like he literally apparently he really is a cannibal like he actually does eat people so calling him a people People eater is like a real thing um but like he was very distinctive he kind of looked almost like uh like a cartoon billionaire or something yeah and and i love i love that he was the one that was running the books at some point in the movie Uh, we've gone through x motorcycles x amount of guzzling i'm like you look like that would be important to you Exactly. And then the guy from the bullet farm, I love how he had one of those like judges wigs like you'd see in the UK, (laughs) but it's made out of bullets. And he at one point he takes out one of his teeth and it's a bullet. It's like this is this is what makes Mad Max cool. And this is why I like think this is the best movie, because, again, I think he wanted this to be how all the other movies were, but he didn't have the budget to make it as crazy as this. Because it's like, that is such good characterization. It's like, he's the leader of the bullet farm. So, of course, he would wear bullets. Like, he'd have a bullet wig and he'd have bullets for teeth. And it's like, <laughs> just, and and, and and not just that, but like, their their war parties and stuff had kind of distinctive looks to them. Yeah. Things like that. Oh, yeah, they just, did. I was So con- much care and attention was, was put into that. Like, you could tell which gang was who by like, what they looked like and what types of cars they were driving and things like that. Well, my, my, my only question about that, well, that though, is why did these other two factions, why were they so invested in this guy getting, getting his wives back? Like the, the way I saw it was that they were symbiotic. One had all the gas, one had all the bullets and one had all the water. Oh, so if they didn't probably the food, you know, like that was the thing about Immortan Joe's little, thing is that he he had water and it was green at the top so that's the way i saw it anyway like he gets bullets and gas from them but they get food and water from him yeah okay that makes sense 
I, but they did not like it though. Like even the fat guy from uh, the the from Gastown, he's yeah. just like, all, or no, 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 maybe it was the bullfrog. One of them was like, all of this for a family squabble. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. It was like, dude, just let it go. There's other women back at your place. Here's a fun question, T. If we were war boys, who would be driving and who would be throwing the javelin? Oh my god. Okay. Well, considering it's an open road. I don't know. See, you're more of a careful driver. I'm still learning. That is true. I'm still not. I mean, I learned know how to drive. I mean, I'm still feeling comfortable driving in lanes. (laughs) It's tough because I've got I've got more driving experience. So like the you would think that that would be an obvious. Oh, I'm going to be the driver. But I feel like between the two of us, I'm also possibly more athletic. Oh, my God. And I'm also taller than you. So like, that's the thing is like. Okay, you. I've I've never had you drive me around, but the fact that it is an open road, it's like basically I, I should know. head straight. That's all I need. Okay, I can do that, <laughs> and I can I floor it. it. <laughs> if it's a manual, I think both of us are screwed. Though, yeah, that I... <laughs> is true. No, yeah, I can't do manual. See, I like if you had said which one of us is on one of those swingy, you know. Uh, oh, I'm afraid of heights. You can be a polecat all you I'll want. Do, I'll be the pole person because that was cool. I like how they would just swing and throw something and swing back out. But I want to be a polecat for the good people. But yeah. Oh, the other another thing I was going to bring up, and this, again, kind of goes into what I keep saying about this movie, how this one feels like how he always envisioned Mad Max, is that when you think of like a post-apocalyptic, super you know drab kind of like oh everything's dead you would imagine this film would just be brown yeah and i'm so there's so much color and to the point where i even love it how it's all blue but then there'll be like that flame and all around their face it's like yellow it almost looks like it's it's been carefully penciled in and that's part of the reason i chose the the tequila sunrise is it's like i i think of like in the first acts just that that sandstorm and all the reds and yellows that was such a great sequence and it's just and well and one of the things i loved about this i was settling myself in to watch one another one of these dumbass like war films where they put you know like brown sepia across everything and call it art and i'm so glad they didn't do that uh you know what i'm talking about this this i don't know this is like a thing i don't know who somebody started this trend i don't know who it is but like it was probably saving private ryan to be honest that one's pretty color desaturated and it's like everything's in him and i'm like okay i'm sorry i didn't okay it's like it's like it's like it's like paint me a picture and you choose to use the boringest colors ever and so i was so happy they made this post-apocalyptic wasteland a bright and vibrant looking place well, what it is is uh, someone making a creative decision and then everyone ripping it off because, like, Saving Private Ryan was, like, a big film when it came out. And then every war film after that was like, oh, we need to make it look sepia-toned, you know? Uh, and, again, it was, like, a creative decision by Spielberg because it's like, oh, this is, like, a, a World War II movie. We need, like, to make it look kind of old. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense when he does it, but then when every freaking war movie afterwards like you know everything like jarhead or like whatever war movie that came after like yeah they would just make it like very brown and boring looking and uh and yeah like i it's it's just it's like like, (laughs) this is another one of those movies budget movie at least put some effort into it (laughs) exactly well it's just like this 
you know, we've talked about this on the show before where it's like movies you should watch to learn how to do things. This is a perfect example where like, I feel like if you were reading the script for this movie, it would probably not necessarily like if you have an active imagination, it would look really cool in your head. But you know, 50% of the script was just probably describing like driving stunts and stuff like that. So like the way like you would take it from the page and make it so visually striking and to the point where it's not boring I like I'm I'm guessing you'll probably go back and watch some of the older Mad Max films because you liked this and I can guarantee they are good. It's just the difference is like the money put into it. Yeah. Uh, but I like when you see Road Warrior, I will say like pay attention to the car chase finale in that film and like compare it to this because it's it's not poorly done, but it's like the difference in visual imagination is so vast that it's like that is particularly why like i love this particular mad max but i just can never get into the series and who knows maybe thunderdome is amazing and i just haven't seen it yet but at least with the first two mad max films that was always my issue is just like the costume design was cool and the world was just as interesting but it was just he didn't have the uh the funds that he he was given in this uh which is honestly kind of impressive because the thing about the old mad max films is they were massively popular at the box office just like this one but for so but i'm like so why way cheaper why i don't understand why they never gave him a budget for it then if he could make it better like the first one the first one i did because it was totally independent but then they gave him shoestring budgets for the other ones too they gave him slightly more budgets it also, like, the first two were, like, an Australian company making it. I think Time Warner, like, I think Warner Brothers uh, was able to release the film in the States. But the first two Mad Max films were, like, some Australian, like, production company. And the second one, like, the first one was, like, no money. The second one was a little bit of money. By the third one, which was, like, the late 80s, uh, I think that one was, like, produced by Warner Brothers, or at least, like, in a Warner Brothers-adjacent company, like, uh, New Line or something like Mm -hmm. that. And that's when you get Tina Turner as the bad guy. Like, the setup for that one, it's called Beyond Thunderdome, and the idea is that Max gets captured and thrown into, like, a coliseum called Thunderdome, and it's, like... You know, he's essentially like a gladiator trying to survive, and Tina Turner's like. That, so that's the setup for that one. That sounds like post-apocalyptic roller derby, Thunderdome. That's what I think. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I was kind of thinking the same thing before I knew like it was like a gladiator thing. But yeah, like uh, so that one there was a budget because you got like a big star being the the villain, and you had like the you know they had to build like this coliseum sort of thing for him to compete in so it was like every mad max he it would get a little bit more expensive to make oh my god i I, i'm sorry i'm still just basking in this movie i just i was very excited about it you know me i love steelbooks the first thing i did afterwards i hopped on ebay to try to find a steelbook of it (laughs) (laughs) you know i was thinking of this like literally minutes before we set up to record and stuff but one thing i've i've kind of noticed about like uh big oscar winners is they get very cheap i don't know i'm guessing you found a steelbook but it's like this is one movie whenever i'm at like target or best buy or something like you'll be able to find fury road for like 10 bucks for like a blu-ray yeah you know, well, because ba- um, basically just... when it becomes a big Oscar film, it becomes so oversaturated with releases that it just becomes cheap because people, they have a bunch of backstock. 
it's it's cool though i kind of like that because it's like oh it makes it accessible and i i I, I, exactly that's one of my big thing even though i do collect criterion one of my issues with criterion is is it's 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 very inaccessible for most people the the thing about criterion is at least they give you stuff like like my criterion for like uh night of the hunter and stuff like i've got like two essays along with it that i could read it's got like a whole other disc of bonus material including like documentaries and stuff which is pretty impressive considering it was a film that bombed in the 50s Mm -hmm. so there's obvious you know like so at least criterion they do put an effort in to make it worth paying like 50 bucks or whatever it is because they actually like give you a lot of extra crap with it that's something I actually have noticed. Uh, I was watching, like, uh, I was rewatching Dune on Blu-ray, and it's like, what happened to people giving a crap about bonus material? <laughs> I mean... Because all of the, like, behind-the-scenes stuff is just, like, people in chairs talking about how amazing the movie is, and it's like, <laughs> did you not film anything? Did like, you? can I see someone working on the thing you're talking about? No. You know, it's some going back to like my my collection. It's funny. Some of my more prized Blu-rays are ones where I know the bonus features are worth it. Like for instance, my <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit twenty fifth right. edition or twentieth uh, anniversary or whatever. It's got all of the Roger Rabbit shorts. It's got tons of raw footage of like before it was edited together, like with the the painted on special effects and stuff. It's like just hours of extra stuff to look at. I mean, I'm this, um, I mean, with my collection, I think it's the same way I have my, of course my prized pieces. I have a 70th and 75th anniversary editions of gone with the wind. And they come in this big box and it has like nine discs of just extra stuff. Um, and it's pretty awesome because one of them is a full length, like two hour documentary about how they made the movie. And then there's another one that has a a movie called the Scarlet O'Hara Wars, which is a TV movie all about how they cast the role of Scarlet. So I totally get what you mean about, you know, making it worthwhile. It's almost worth waiting for the steelbook or like a super special edition or something because it's like if you get it right when it comes out, I feel like there's no effort put in anymore. Like the 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 holy grail, like I talked, you know, the same way there's like the platinum action movies or the platinum horror movies as far as like owning a film on Blu-ray or whatever, like there's the platinum quality ones. I would put the top like the Lord of the Rings extended edition. That is how you should put out, like, a loving, you know, uh, release of a film. Because not only is there, like, an extended cut of the film, but that had... I'm sure you've seen it. Like, there's so much behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, it goes into the Foley, and it goes into all these funny stories about how, like, Viggo Mortensen broke his toe kicking one of the the orc heads and stuff like that. (laughs) Like, all, all sorts of, like, crazy stuff. And that, I feel like, is, like, the top tier. That's what you should hope for when you're getting, like, bonus material on a Blu-ray. But I feel like you just never get anything. Another one, uh, a few years ago, like, when Parasite won Best Picture, I made sure to get a copy of it because I enjoyed the film. And I, as I'm, you know, looking, you know, I'm buying it anyway, but when I'm looking at the back, it's, like, special features include 
English subtitles. It's like <laughs> it's like that's the it's stuff. Like, did you, it's really. like did you guys even care? Like you don't have anything. You don't have an interview with the director. You don't have anything on this film that won Best Picture. Are you joking? Like, and I'm sure there's probably like a collector's edition now or something. It's just it's a shame that like. I remember when DVDs came out, that was kind of one of the big selling points is like, there's all this extra crap in it. Like, I don't know if you remember getting like Harry Potter on DVD when you were a kid. Yes. There was like a virtual tour tour of Hogwarts. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I remember that. I think, <laughs> well, that was also like, back what... when they made like actual like DVD books, you know, and it was like, it's like, where is that? No one cares anymore. And I guess it's because most people buy stuff digitally or just stream it. But it's like, especially if you want to incentivize people, people to uh buy a blu-ray instead of just watching on an hbo max or something it's like shouldn't you be putting in an effort to get people to want to buy it like not just for the movie obviously it's worth it for the movie but anyway side rants over <laughs> i was just curious what you thought I, mean, I, I, I feel like I've... i don't know if you know this but like when i buy um uh, like even when I buy just a movie that I get very excited about, I always want to get it like right away because they do all there is, they do like a limited run at the very beginning when it first comes out where it has a paper slip case. And I really like that, <laughs> but, but, but it's like once that like first month is over, they don't do it anymore. And it's just like whatever they can print out. So it's like, again, it's like, there's no effort, but it's uh, hopefully that changes in the future. Again, it's like probably not because it seems like we're leaning towards everyone's just going to have streaming services and that's how you watch movies. Yeah. Personally, in case something happens with my internet, I like to have a physical copy because it's, it's nice. To I just mean, be able to... that's how I am. Cause my dad's always like, well, everything's available online. And I'm like, no, it's not. And my other problem is right now with streaming becoming a thing, essentially all these properties are going to end up being head behind paywalls and become accessible. Well, and fun fact, too, if you, for, for instance, buy a digital copy of this film on Amazon, you do not own the movie. You own a license to the yeah. movie. So if for any reason Amazon decides they don't want to carry it anymore, they do not give a crap yeah. that you paid 10 bucks or 20 bucks or however much yeah. it was at the time to buy the movie. Mm -hmm. It'll be gone. Yeah. And you will have no, like, if you buy a physical Blu-ray of the film, no one can do shit about it. Right. Like, as basically, long as you have a basically device that can play a Blu-ray, yeah. you are good. Until the Blu-ray degrades, which will be after you're dead, you you, <laughs> you own it. And that's that's one of the reasons why I'm a big advocate for making sure that I go out and, and purchase physical copies of things. Because I like to be able... I know people are like, oh, streaming is like all about... Uh, on your, you, you can watch stuff when you want. No, you can't. You can watch stuff when they decide it's convenient or cost effective for them to show it. So exactly. that's why, like, I even like anytime there's Amazon Prime Day, I always buy a whole bunch of like DVD box sets of series that I like, because at some point, it, it, you know, either it'll be behind a paywall at one of these things that I can't afford or they just decide we don't need to stream it right now. And then you can't watch it like ever. So that's my rant just about like, why owning physical media is important. Just like the green place with the many, many mothers. Yes. One day all the water will go bad and dry up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Blu-ray well will drive up, dry up. Uh, 
Well, man, I'm this is this has been a great episode. I'm very happy you liked it. I I'm, yeah, like I'm just looking through some of my another another fun, uh, just some of the quotes I wrote down uh, that I liked. Uh, Hope is not a mistake. I really liked that <laughs> one, uh, especially in these days. That's like a very nice nice sentiment. That's hard to. Uh, oh and again like going back to again not to make this the political show but going back to the whole thing with roe v wade i i thought it was very telling and interesting and again very important nowadays uh when immortan joe like uh one of one of his wives is like blocking him from taking a shot and it's the pregnant one he says that's my child it's my property oh god that was such a cringy line i'm so glad that, that, no, but it's a good line. I mean, it was good. It, like it, he, it, it, it was shows good. how he. Yeah, no, I mean, well, it shows how he sees these people. It's like these are, you know, especially talking about objectifying women. It's like they are his property. His child is his property. This woman is his property. It's like, you know, again, it's it's <laughs> uh, a lot. of it, it was talked about at the time when this came out. Again, it's kind of I've, it's part of the reason I was really surprised you didn't see this when it came out. Is a lot of people who'd never seen a Mad Max film were kind of raving at the time about like, "Wow, I went to see Mad Max: Fury Road and wasn't expecting a feminist masterpiece." I remember you know, there uh, being all these, all, all, all these, for lack of a better term. Uh, incels upset about it and they were i remember reading online oh my god it would have been good if they didn't have this feminist thing and i'm like to me i don't know what they're talking about because the the feminist it never got in the way of the story do you know what i mean well, also no one no one cares what they're talking because again this movie did gangbusters right, you kidding? right. it did super well everyone was this was most people's favorite movie that year so and this was kind of you know now you see it with like people complaining complaining like the most recent one was like the Buzz Lightyear movie or like oh it's gone woke, and it's like I don't know I I guess maybe I I was not as uh, on the internet as I as I am now. Well, I will but say I didn't I I heard no one complaining about this movie when it came out. I just heard a lot of people being really surprised because a lot of people saw this and had never seen a Mad Max film and they were just like whoa, I was not expecting this <laughs> like i was i was expecting this to be like a dumb movie that my friend dragged me to i was not expecting this to be like a a, a feminist treatise on on toxic masculinity or what you know and and again it doesn't shove it down your throat if you just want to see a cool car chase for two hours with some really gnarly costumes and some you know real badass action you get that but if you want some uh, social commentary and stuff you get that too well, no, that's exactly what I'm saying because because there's lots of socially conscious movies. Uh, yes. But to me, a lot of times in those cases, th th it kind of gets in the way of the actual story of it. And this yeah. is not one where that happened. And that's one of the reasons why I think this is almost a perfect movie because it still does exactly what all those other movies do without it being, you know, like flag waving every three seconds. <laughs> well, and that's kind of the thing too. Like I, I was kind of making fun at these people who talk about like movies being too woke and stuff. And they are funny. They are clowns. Don't get me wrong. But one thing I do think they do make a good point is that no one likes being lectured to. And I don't know if it's just these, the people writing these films just care more about the message than the medium. But like, I do feel like there are a lot of things where it's so preachy that it kind of alienates people and you know no one no as i said no one likes being lectured to like it's 
there's that old phrase you catch more flies with honey than vinegar yeah and i feel like if you make a good movie and have a message in the movie more people are inclined to listen to your message than if you put the message first and then think about the movie as like an afterthought right and again it's like this this is a very like you know important movie as far as like things going on in the world right now with uh you know women's health and women's bodies but you don't ha- you can sit down and just watch this and enjoy yourself like you don't right, need yeah. to get uh you know and i think that that's kind of something a lot of uh people who are you know trying to get a political message across in films uh maybe could learn from this movie is like you know make a movie people want to see and then slip your message in yeah just, they'll listen yeah, you just need to get their attention first you got to realize like it frustrates a lot of like politically active people but your average moviegoer especially they don't give a shit they're just going to see a movie you know um a lot of people do give a shit but it's it's like you again if you want to make a difference it's like it's better to uh you know put the the storytelling first at least that's my opinion i I feel like this is a perfect example of that because this is a very you know i'm sure this would piss off a lot of uh incel MGTOW red pill types <laughs> but it's also just a fucking good movie and yeah it is um, a fabulous movie it is fabulous awesome so I, I i know i say there's no such thing as a perfect movie but you know going against my own and maybe it's the tequila but uh, <laughs> i'm given i'm given this four glasses of whiskey out of four this is this is like perfection this is like as close to perfect as you're gonna get with any kind of movie let alone an action movie as i said it's like platinum tier it's a classic i think in 10 more years people are still gonna you know be listing this i'm curious to see how the the furiosa prequel is gonna be i am going to also go out and say four out of four pitchers of sweet tea i am also gonna put this in the classic category (laughs) Yeah. And of course, this is one of T's new all-time favorite movies, right? I'm putting it. I'm it's a, up there with Gone with the Wind, right? I'm putting it. I'm putting it in that little thing. Well, you know, I drew some parallels because, uh, like this movie, one of the main th- themes in Gone with the Wind is survival. And good point. It, it seriously, did you not watch the movie with me? It's pretty obvious. That's what the, the main theme in the movie. No, is. I said good point. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you said what? See, it's the tequila. No, I said good point. It's it's, no, the, uh, it's the tequila game. But yeah, I'm putting that in kind of the classics category as well. Uh, this is just this is the part of part of the magic of doing the show is like if, if this is the first episode any of you guys are listening to, uh, we don't talk. We, we do not talk about the movie until we sit down to record. So I had no idea you were going to like it as much as you did. So I am, I'm just very pleased because for all I knew, you'd be like, well, I like the message, but I just wasn't a fan of the violence. Well, see, I, really I was like... actually, it's like, I don't know, you know, for all I know, I had a feeling you would like this, but I did not expect you to not just like it. But again, this is like now one like of rave about movies. It. Yeah. I think this is the first time you've ever, like, besides it being a movie that you have, like, pitched for the show, I don't think this is, I think this is the most you've ever liked a, a movie on, <laughs> on the show so far. See, so, was not expecting that. I, you know, when I was actually, we talked about the violence. One thing, to me, it wasn't super violent. I don't know, maybe I'm weird now and I watch too many true crime documentaries, but to me, one of the things that I really, really liked about this movie, it was, it was a, it was a stellar action film with light violence and 
um, little to no profanity. So I was kind of like, why is this R? Yeah, I actually, so again, another time I paused this while rewatching it for the show, I actually checked because I was, you know, I was like halfway through the film and I was like, is this R? The other Mad Maxes are R. Is this one R? And I looked and I was like, yeah. By the end of the film, it made more sense because like when, when uh, Immortan Joe's face mask gets ripped out and stuff like that, it's like, okay, there it is. There's the maybe, box. maybe, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I that's like, the scene most of... that did it. But to me, that was still far enough away where I was like, eh. Well, also there, there was a little, you know, it's far away, but there is full frontal nudity with the, uh, the woman who's like, oh, help me, help me. And she's bait. You know, you don't, completely see everything yeah but, you know there it we, we've talked about how the mpaa really doesn't like see, sex and nudity so see, that was for me i think part of it and then there was that see i thought i thought you george know, they, just slipped the mpaa like 20 dollars. make it r for me there's, please. <laughs> there's also some gross stuff like i think stuff like the mother's milk uh i think that happened to uh go into the r rating you know like oh there's these obese women who might have been past breeders or whatever that are being milked like like cattle and yeah, but and, everything's and shows like kids are drinking it and stuff it's like i can see i can see maybe they're like oh that's kind of gross uh, also like but yeah no the violence oh and there's also the bit where morning joe tries to save his uh his son by cutting it out of the girl and it's like you don't see a lot of gore but that is pretty like you hear a lot of sound effects and stuff i'm with you i i i think it's toned down a lot but uh i like to me to me this was like a this was a pg-13 movie for the most part yes this is one you know there were like when i was a kid there were some r-rated movies my parents let me watch because it's like oh it's not that bad like the good the bad and the ugly for yeah. instance which is still rated r for some reason uh although i mean i guess i kind of get it. anyway like but this is one where if i'm ever a parent it's like oh can we see mad max Fury road ah, yeah yeah sure, sure you can it's watch not that it. bad it's not that bad <laughs> Um, no, yeah, but it was fabulous. Everybody go out and watch this right now. Get fired up to make this will get you fired up to vote. (laughs) I assume, right? I assume all of you listening have already seen this, but if for some reason you are listening to our podcast and have never heard of this movie, go get your butts to, if you can, if there is a theater screening this film, go see it because I I saw it in theaters and. You know, when this came out also, T, uh, this came out in 40X as well. So you could have gone to the theater with the moving seats. So during the car chases, your car would have been like moving around and stuff. I heard it was incredible. I didn't see it myself, but a lot of people were saying like, you need to like 40X is stupid and it's a gimmick, but you need to see Mad Max in 40X. 40X. (laughs) I mean, to me, with this movie being basically like he said, a giant car chase, to me, the 40X is worth it. If I, I really wish they would re-release it because I never got to see it in 40X, but I I would. I would go back. I'd pay. I'd, I'm assuming it's like a $30 ticket or something. and I, I would do it. Uh, it looks really good. Um, but anyway, thank you guys for tuning in again. I hope you found this show entertaining uh, and informative. And <laughs> feel free to hit us up on all of our socials. Uh, as I said, we're hoping to launch an Instagram. We're thinking of getting a letterbox. We're already on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube, feel free to leave a comment. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we've been Whiskey and Sweet Tea keeping it Kino. Suck it, Scorsese. <laughs> Bye-bye, y'all. Bye. Reels on the Rocks is a production of La Prince Laboratories. 
It is edited and produced by Alejandro Castillo and features original artwork by Ace Esparza and original music by Pat Mars. Follow us on Twitter at Reels on the Rocks and tweet at us with any movies or topics you'd like us to discuss in the future.